Now, before you answer that question, you got to think about it because we don't like to hear excuses, but we all like to give excuses, right? Because we want everybody to know that we had a good reason for why we did not do what we were supposed to do. School started on Wednesday. So I thought, well, let's look at some school excuses for why I did not do my homework. I picked the top six bad excuses because there's, there's an innumerable number of excuses for why kids don't do their homework. Some are out of this world absurd. These are the most likely to hear. Hopefully teachers do not hear these excuses, and hopefully students, you do not give these excuses because I don't think they'll fly. Okay. Oh, okay, I guess my first one's up there. It says, I've been busy with extracurricular activities uh, and volunteering work outside of school. Anybody ever hear that excuse or anybody ever give that excuse? That's one. Number five. Okay, I practiced this. Yeah, it's turned on. Okay, why don't you hit the next one? Okay. Number five. Okay, I had too much homework from my, insert this subject, like from my math class, that I didn't have time to complete the homework that you gave me. Sorry, I had to take preference of one or the other. Number four, I thought it was in my bag, but it looks like I left it at home by accident. Anybody ever hear that excuse or give that excuse? It's a pretty good one because the teacher doesn't know unless you happen to live in Plevna and you can run home and get your uh, homework. You're, you're pretty much safe with that one. Kids don't remember that, though. Number three, my computer crashed and I didn't save my work or my printer stopped working. Pretty good excuse. It used to work, but now there's too many ways... There's the cloud, right? So there's just too many things that you can do in order to, that one doesn't work. Number two, homework. I don't remember getting any homework. Anybody ever try that one? Okay, the number one excuse for not having my homework. Anybody know what it is? My dog ate my homework. <laughs> now, some excuses are better than others, right? But I don't think teachers are impressed with anybody's excuses for why they didn't do their homework. Uh, I don't think anybody really likes excuses. Uh, kids, if you didn't do your homework or you didn't clean your room, your parents are not going to like your excuse. If, you, if you're trying to play a sport but you didn't show up to practice or you didn't get everything done in order to show up to practice, your coach is not going to like your excuse. Adults, we probably all know this, your boss does not like excuses, right? The job's supposed to be done. You, you do it, whatever it takes. Your boss doesn't like excuses, but also the police officer does not like excuses for why you were speeding. Uh, nobody likes excuses. But guess who else doesn't like excuses? Well, parents don't, but I was thinking, Jesus does not like excuses. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, is a bunch of lame excuses uh, through a parable as to why people are not going to get to heaven. Uh, but we're going to be looking at it through the, the eyes of a parable of a banquet, and of people who say, I can't show up to this banquet because something else has come up. So I'm going to read through this passage, Luke chapter 14, verses 15 to 24, and there's going to be a couple pictures up here uh, to kind of help uh, keep everybody's attention. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was, was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Verse 19 says, Another says, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The ser- oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants to go out quickly into the streets and into the alleys to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told him, go out into the roads, into the country lanes, and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Very simple story. This is a parable. It's a story told to teach a lesson. And it's something that may be true, it may not be true, but it's something people of that day are going to be able to relate to and understand. Now, Jesus had a knack of putting the right parable at the right time. Because when Jesus is telling this to the people, they're at a banquet. Jesus was invited, as we saw a couple weeks ago, to get set up. There was a bunch of a Pharisee and a bunch of other religious people, and they brought a man there who had dropsy, who had some kind of physical ailment where possibly his organs quit working, his body started swelling, he's miserable, and he's standing there. And they invite Jesus because they know Jesus cannot resist the opportunity to heal this man. The only catch is that it's on a Sabbath. But Jesus is trying to prove to them by healing this man that love triumphs over the law. Love is more important than the law. After that, this banquet is taking place, and Jesus talks to them about having humility, about having other people go first instead of trying to take the most important place for themselves. And then he talks to the host and says, Hey, you know what? You invited all these people. All these people can repay you. They can do the same thing to you in return. He says, you should invite the people who cannot repay, but they are at a banquet. This is going to sink deep into their mind that every time they're at a banquet, I remember what Jesus said. I remember what this parable or what Jesus was talking about and what this really means. So we're going to look at it from the point of what is this parable just physically talking about from, from each point and then how does this apply to us? Because it's important that we understand it as it applies to us. So the first thing is there is this banquet. Anybody's mouths watering? Okay, hopefully half an hour we're out of here and we can go get something to eat. But there's this banquet going on. And in order for a banquet to take place and to have guests, the, the host would just say, hey, servant, Josh, you go out there, here's a list of people, and you invite them to my house for the banquet. Josh, the servant, would go and say, hey, Steve, are you coming? Steve says, yes, I'm coming. Hey, Jerry, are you coming? Yes, I'm coming. And so he would get a list of everybody who was invited, and they are coming. And they would RSVP to say that they were coming. Now, one little thing about this party or this uh, dinner they were going to have, he'd say, Steve, uh, October 1st is the party, but I can't tell you when it is. I can't tell you the exact time, but this is the date. Just make sure that you're ready. And Steve says, okay, I can be ready that day. I'll put it on my little calendar, and I'll be ready to go. And so the, during that time, the, the host would start preparing all his food. He would butcher the cow he was going to eat, or he would uh, get all the crops ready. He'd have hours and hours worth of work to get the table ready, to get the food ready, to make sure everything looked proper for his guests. But when he got done, he'd say, hey, servant Josh, 
You go out there. Remember, here's your list. Go talk to these people. Steve, are you ready to go? Hey, Jerry, the time is now. And, you know, the thing about a party, this, this dinner party, is it really didn't take a lot of imagination to figure out what time of day this is going to take place. Because how many people here have breakfast parties? Not many. You might have an afternoon party, but generally the parties were probably about the same time in the evening. But these guys decided they didn't want to go. That's the point, is they decided, I don't want to do this. So they started coming up with excuses. You, you, at first, these sound like they are good excuses, but we'll look at the fact that they really are not that good. Verse 18, this guy says, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Hmm, interesting. So, uh, it sounds like a good excuse, right? I just bought some field. I want to go look out and see this thing. I want to go explore it. Check out the creek, see how the, see what kind of livestock or li wildlife is out there because I want to go hunting. But, uh, you know, when they bought fields, they did not just, uh, here, I'm going to, Steve, I'm going to give you the cash. Let me have this field. It took time to buy a field. Anybody here ever buy a field? I've never bought a field. But I know when you buy a car, it takes at least three hours. I'm sure when you, you buy a field, it takes a long time. And so you would have ample time to go and look at this field. I don't think anybody here is going to buy a field sight unseen. You want to make sure you're getting the creek that's supposed to be there, that the, life, the, life, uh, the wildlife is supposed to be there. You want to make sure it's going to be there, so you're going to search this out. But let's just say for, just for humor's sake, this guy really just bought this field without looking at it. Uh, he is RSVP to be at this dinner. This guy has prepared all his food, and in order for him to say, I'm not coming, He's going to insult the host in a major way for not coming. No excuse is going to be good. Uh, and think about what he could do. I bought this field today. I'm dying to see it. Is that field going to go anywhere? No. That field will be there tomorrow. That field will be there five minutes after dinner is over, right? He could go see that field at any point. He probably has already seen it. But his excuse is, nope, I just bought this field. i got to check it out. All it is is a bad excuse. Uh-oh, the second guy has bought five yoke of oxen. That's a lot of machinery, right? Right for their day, they didn't have combines and plows. They, they had, or, or tractors, they had plows and they had oxen. And this guy says, I just bought these animals. I got to go try them out. I bet he's excited. He wants to do these. But if you think about this, how many people here buy tractors or combines or vehicles without trying them out first? How much more would you think you'd want to try out an animal, right? You want to make sure these things are healthy and they're strong and they're capable of doing the job. This guy has had ample time to buy these things. He's not going to buy them sight unseen, just like none of you would buy these sight unseen. You were, you're going to make sure they work out. But let's just say he did just buy these things. Uh, are those oxen going anywhere? When else could he do this? Five minutes after dinner. He could do it tomorrow. He could do it the next day. But this, this, I, this feast is only here today. It's never coming back. If, if you're going to be at this feast, it's now or never. But this guy says, nope, I'd rather deal with my new oxen, what I purchased, as opposed to going to this feast. Which now, I wonder, uh, it, it sounds kind of tempting, you know, because if you buy something new and you're excited about it, and you have the option to go to somebody's house, you might feel like, boy, weighing the two options, I would much rather... Uh, skip dinner, right? I'm, I'm more interested in this, this new toy that I got. 
but the better choice is to go with the dinner that you have RSVP'd that you promised that you're going to go to. Now this third one is, is, is almost my favorite one, uh, is the wedding. Now I, I imagine this is something that most women are going to relate to unless you're just really romantic and you say, uh, this guy says, I can't go to this banquet because I just got married. My new bride, I got to stay home with her. Well, that's, that's a really sweet thing to say. Uh, you know, uh, when I first got married, my wife and I would have had the same issue because I would have been like, hey, let's go, or I'm going. And she would have said, no, honey, please stay home. And I would have been torn between the two. And it sounds like the romantic, the loving thing to do, right? Stay home with your wife. That's a great excuse. Sorry, that's not a good excuse. Sorry, women. There's, that one is not going to work. Uh, here's, here's a couple reasons why. Uh, when you look at you're, 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 you're going to get married, usually you plan a, a date in advance, right? I'm going to get married on March 1st. If I get an RSVP in the mail for March 2nd to, for a, a uh, banquet, guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to sign up to do both at the same time. Both of these things take time to get there. The banquet takes time uh, to RSVP before you show up. The wedding takes place, so you, you don't plan them at the same time. So all this is is a good, I'm sorry, this is not a good excuse. This is a bad excuse for why I missed this, uh, this party. And this guy, how do you think he feels, uh-oh, how do you think he feels about that? I've just prepared all this food. Of course the guy is angry. How many of you people, if you were to invite me over for dinner, okay, you invite us over for dinner, and we said, yes, we'll come. So you go home, what do you do? How many people... I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to vacuum. I'm going to wash the table. I'm going to dust. I'm going to do all this work before Josh and his family show up. And then I'm going to spend hours and hours in the kitchen preparing food. And then I'm going to keep my little rascal kids away from it all. Right? That's, that is a lot of work. I mean, right, women? Thanksgiving, Christmas, all you can think is, okay, this is work. Right? It's just so much involved in this. And you spend all day doing this, and then all of a sudden I call 10 minutes before and say, sorry, I'm not coming. How many people are excited about that? Please don't answer that. <laughs> I know you're just doing your duty. But no, really, you're going to be upset about that. And that's how this guy is feeling. And if you've ever had that happen, it can be very frustrating. But that's what's going on in this guy's story, in Jesus' story. So he says, I can't let this food go to waste. I can't stick it in the fridge like it's going to happen in 2,000 years. There's going to be these big boxes you can stick your fridges in. It took me all day to prepare this, all day to keep this warm. I'm going to give it to somebody. So uh, the master tells the servant, you just go out there, you start inviting anybody who will come, anybody who's the outcast, the ones that are poor, the ones that are blind, the ones that are sick, the one that cannot repay us, you just go and get them. And the servant says, you know what, boss? I already took care of that. I already invited those people. There is still room. There's still way too much food. He says, okay, go out to the countryside. All these people walking down, I don't know what the countryside means exactly, because it could be people like this guy who's just taking this trek down the road, or it could be people who are living way out in the sticks. But he says, go out there, and you get them to come. And he says, compel them, urge them, get them to come, because there is a lot of food. This is celebration. It's not going to last. It is not going to stay here. It's now or never. And so the guy goes out there, and he does that, and he's got to convince these people because maybe they don't even know the master. You want me to come to your master's house to have food? Look at me. I'm not dressed for the occasion. I don't have. No, I'm not. I don't know the guy. This. It sounds like 
a trick. Like we're going to get there and laugh at him as he gets his, the door shut in his face because he really wasn't invited. So he says, compel them, urge them to come in because they're not going to come probably unless you do that. Now this is a story told to teach a lesson. This is a parable. And there is more to this than just having good manners. There's more to this than just keeping our commitments. This is about uh, trusting God or Jesus for salvation and staying committed to that, that, to that faith. So we, we're going to go back and look at uh, verse 15. It says, When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now we've already looked at the way feasts work. Really, you can have a feast all the time. When we first got married, we had four Christmases. That's a lot of Christmas. By the time you get through four, you're done with Christmas. You know, we had four Thanksgivings. You can go from house to house, from family to family, from event to event, and still celebrate Christmas multiple times, more times than you want. But when it comes to the feast in the kingdom of heaven, this is a one-time shot that you have at this. This is not something that's going to happen multiple times that you can come at a later date. Once that feast starts, it is too late. The door is shut and there, there's nobody else who's going to get in. This feast could be referring to a specific meal that's taking place in heaven, or this feast could be um, dealing with the whole idea of heaven together. But once that feast starts, the door is shut, and if you didn't get in, you're not going to make it. You're not going to get in. And this guy who's saying this, Oh, here, there you go. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's in Revelation 7, 19, verses 7 to 9. It kind of clarifies that a little bit more. But this guy is expecting to be there. He's, he's telling Jesus, blessed are those who are going to make it. And by the way, I'm expecting to be there. But these guys had a lot of excuses for why they were not trusting Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's, he stated that in John. It's, people know that. But these guys are not trusting that. They say, you know what? We have other ways. We have another way to get there. Uh, their excuses would go something like this. You know, all Israelites have a share in the world to come. Because in the Mishnah, this Jewish writing that we have, uh, thy people shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. Meaning every single Jew was going to make it through heaven unless they were really, really bad. But this guy is not obviously not thinking of himself. He's expecting he's going to make it because he's a Jew. He's relying on passages like you find in Deuteronomy about, when, about the Israelites being God's chosen people. He said, I didn't choose you guys because you were so big, uh, because you guys are actually the smallest on the earth. You, to be my, I chose you to be my treasured possession. I didn't... I'm sorry... That's the way you get when you try to paraphrase on the spot. Let me just read it. It says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all his peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So they're feeling like we are the only people in all of creation to be God's chosen people. That's going to make them feel pretty special. And they're relying on the fact that they are those people to say, Hey, we're getting in. We're God's people. And that's, that's why we're, we have our, our free ticket into heaven. They also relied on the fact that they had the law. In Romans 2.17, you can find that they relied on the law. They were relying on it for salvation. And so they're thinking, what? we have it made. We have, we're God's chosen people. We have the law. What else do we need? 
Those are the excuses that they started giving. But when you find, uh, as, a, as you find out in the parable, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. There are going to be people who are left out, Jewish people who are going to be left out. Because when you read Romans chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, it says, It is through Isaac that your offspring, offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Great, there's Jewish people. They descended from Abraham, but that doesn't mean they got a free ticket to heaven. God says this salvation is not coming through the natural way. You had Abraham and uh, Hagar, and they, they, it was uh, Sarah's maidservant. They had a son named Ishmael. And if, if it, it could have... Um, Jesus could have come through that line, but Jesus said, no, I'm not coming through that way. It's going to be the result of a promise because uh, Sarah was not pregnant. She was, she was over 90 years old when she had a baby. Her womb was dead. She could not have a kid. But God says, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make this happen anyway so that you know that this was through God that this happened. And uh, ultimately, Jesus came through the line of, Abraham, which ultimately made the, the way possible for us to have eternal life, that it wasn't based off of some physical birth that gave you eternal life. It was through the, the promise of Jesus Christ as your Savior, but it was something that was available to everyone, not just the Jews. So who? So the, the original people, the Jews who should, have, who should have made it, who should have looked at all the evidence and said, yes, I'm going to trust Jesus as my Savior, said, no, I'm going to reject that. So Jesus said, hey, Let's go look somewhere else. He says, go invite the other people. The people who you don't think are going to make it into the kingdom of heaven because they don't outwardly qualify. He gives the, the parable, uh, or when he's talking to the people at the wedding banquet, in verse 13 he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Those are the people with the outward sin, uh, ailments that doesn't look like the people that anybody wants to show, associate with. They thought if you had a sin, it was going to come out in your, your physical body. You, you were blind because of sin. You, were, you were, had an ailment because of something that you did. So they were kind of the outcast. And when you look at Matthew 21, uh, verse 31, it says, I tell you the truth, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent in believing him. So all the people who should have made it, the righteous, the religious leaders of that day, said, no, we don't need Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, you don't want me. Let's go after the people who do. The people who feel like I am unworthy. You look at me, I'm, I'm a sinner above sinners. I, I just, I, there's no way I measure up. It's obvious that I have done everything wrong. And Jesus says, hey, those are the ones who are getting into heaven and instead of you guys, you guys rejected me. I'm going after them. And then you look at here, you see the people from the highways and the byways. And I almost am glad for this one because this is referring to everybody else. The Jews said, hey, I don't want this message. This is it's referring to everybody else who is now available to them. Acts 13, verses 44 to 46. It says, on the next Sabbath, almost the, whole, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy, and they talked abusively against Paul, what, what he was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, 
But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. The Jews were given the message first. They were supposed to take it and believe it. They were supposed to take it and share it. But they said, we don't want it. So that opened the door up for you and I to have eternal life. They don't want it. We're, we're the people on the highways and the byways, the people who are the outcasts. The Jews never would have thought of letting you know about Jesus because to them, the Gentiles were the fuel for the fires of hell. You went to hell and they were happy about it because you deserved it. But because the Jews rejected, the door was open for the Gentiles to now hear the message of salvation. But just like the Jews, you still have to accept that message. You don't get in just because you're a Gentile. You don't get in just because you're good enough, just because you were baptized, just because you went to church. You only get to heaven through the message or through trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, a lot of us are sitting here in church today. Hopefully some of us are still paying attention. And it's really easy for us to be like the Jews because the Jews had every advantage possible and they should have accepted the message of salvation, but they still said no. We, they still said, we don't want this. We are still not going to accept this message. They had a lot of excuses. And there are a lot of people today who have excuses for why they will not give their life to Jesus, why they will not trust him as their Savior. One is they just don't see their need for Jesus. Yeah, that's good for those other people, but not really for me. I'm doing pretty good on my own. I don't really need him. Some people are fear, never fear of rejection. They think, you know what, if I turn to Jesus, my family's going to hate me. My friends are going to disclude me, they're going to or exclude me, and I'm going to I'm going to lose everybody that I know because I put my faith in Jesus and I really don't want to go through that. I'm afraid of the persecution and it's just not worth it to me. I'd rather just be happy here while I'm on earth and take my chances for what's coming. Uh, some people are just too preoccupied with the things of this world that they don't even realize the seriousness of, of what their eternal state is going to be. Is it going to be in heaven? Is it going to be in hell? They don't really know because they're just enjoying what this life has to offer. Some people say, you know what? You look in that Baptist church in Plevna, Montana, there are too many hypocrites. I'd have to say, you know, I'm in this Baptist church too, so don't stone me. But people will look at that. They'll say, there's too many hypocrites in the church. People, they're judgmental. They don't they don't live the way that Jesus would want to. I don't, if that's the way it is, I don't want it either. And so they'll blame, they'll make excuse that all of everybody else is the reason why I don't want Jesus, because they're not living their life the way they should. Some people say, you know what? I want to enjoy what this life has to offer. You know, I'll be one of those deathbed experiences. I'll, I'll be laying on my bed right before I die, and I'll say, okay, fine, Jesus, I'll trust you as my Savior. That'd be really nice if you knew when you're going to die. You could count on that. But it, people die all the time in all sorts of ages without knowing what's coming. So I would encourage you, don't make that your excuse thinking I will do it later. Some people think one way is unfair. Jesus says I am the only way to heaven. That's unfair. How could you, how could you say Jesus is the only way? If you say that, I don't want any part of it. I don't feel like it's fair. I'm not going to trust Jesus. And some people just say, you know what, how many religions are there out there? Right? There's lots of them. There's Mormons. There's Muslims. There's Jehovah's Witness. There's Christians. There's Buddha. Right? There's all these things. I don't even know what's right. And if I can't figure out what's right, how am I supposed to pick what's right? Right? It's just too hard to know, so I'm not going to pick anything. It's just, it's just, God is not going to be happy with that excuse. If you're standing before him saying, there's too many hypocrites, God. I didn't really know what the right choice was. 
he's, he's not going to say, okay, well, good, now you can come on in, now that you know the truth. And some people just plain don't believe it. I hear it in the Bible, I hear that preacher yapping it all the time about Jesus and our need for a Savior, but I feel like it's a bunch of baloney. I just, I just can't swallow it. That could be your excuse, too, for why you don't trust Jesus as your Savior. Good luck when you get up to heaven and try to convince Jesus that that was a good excuse, because it is not a good excuse. You know, uh, this verse, uh, back in Luke 14, when he was supposed to go out and go to the countryside and start trying to compel people, he was supposed to urge people. Now, maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, boy, I don't know if I believe this is true. Just listen. Let me, let me beg you. Let me urge you. Let me plead with you for your own good that you need Jesus as your Savior because hell is your only alternative. Hell was not made for you. Hell was made for the Satan and his angels. He doesn't want you to go there. God loves you so much. He said, I'm going to die on the cross, a cruel, painful, embarrassing death so that you can have eternal life. And I'm, I'm begging you. You think I'm full of it? You think the Bible's fake and phony? Think again. I'm begging you, please reconsider. If you have questions, like you, I'm not going to be mad at you. I'm not going to laugh at you. If you have questions, talk to somebody. Don't leave wondering if this is really true. Make me prove it from Scripture. Ask God to prove that he's real to you, but don't just say, I'll put it off. It's too embarrassing. It doesn't matter. Be compelled. I beg you. If it's the last thing I could do on earth is to get you into heaven's doors, that's what I'm going to do. I beg you to please don't just say, yep, that's this, that's there, there he goes again. Take it serious. This message is real. It's important. You say, yes, Josh, you've pounded this. Yes, Josh, I believe this. Good. I'm glad. I, I hope everybody in here says, yes, I know Jesus as my Savior. But let me tell you something that we need to do. We, we believe the message of Jesus. We need to bring other people to the feast. We need to share the gospel message with other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus made things right between us and God. He says, now it's your turn. You're my ambassador. Now you need to go out there and you need to help make things right between other people and between God. He gave us the message of reconciliation, that, that Christ was not counting men's sins against them. We are therefore, verse 20, Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God could come down here and he could give everybody a one-on-one -on -one encounter and say, this is real, this is true, trust me as your Savior, and I bet everybody would. But for some reason, he decided not to do that. He decided to say, hey, I want you, Selena, to go to school and tell your friends. I want you, Jerry, to go tell your neighbors out in the country. I want you, Ida, to talk to the lady next to you. I want you, TC, to go talk to the people at the oil field. You're in those places. You need to tell them this message of salvation. These people need to hear it. And you might be the only person who gets out there and actually does it. You have access to people that I can't get to. The people that you know might say, I'm not talking to a pastor. I'm not talking to that person. But they will talk to you because they have years of experience with you, of friendship, and they trust you. And it is your job to get out there and share that message with everybody else. God's house is going to be full, one way or another. You know, I think about uh, all the abortions 
that have happened. And I, I'm, my personal belief is that all those aborted babies are going to be in heaven. And that, that's going to make up a huge chunk of it. Uh, Leslie's mom was telling us that there was a gal that she knew that had 32 abortions while she was living in South America. And maybe that's not, uh, maybe the lady exaggerated, but this vast number, maybe she's had more. But I bet every 32 of those little ones are going to be up in heaven. God's house is going to be full. But right now it is not full. He wants it full, and he wants you to be a part of it, but he also wants your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family to be a part of it. But there's a coming a time when it's too late. When that party starts and that door shuts, that's it. That's all there is to it. There is no other way to get in. and There's no second opportunity. So let me leave you with two quick, tough questions. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, what is your excuse for not believing? It's too many hypocrites. I, I just can't swallow it. There's too many choices. I really just don't know what to believe. What, and if you say, I believe in Jesus, what is your excuse for not telling people? It's awkward. My life hasn't been perfect. Uh, people are going to think differently of me. I don't know what to say. Don't let those be the excuses. If you don't know what to say, figure out what to say. Practice what to say. Uh, Wednesday night at our meeting, we're going to talk about sharing the gospel. Come to that even if you're not going to be involved in Awana. And we're going to work on this is what you can tell people. If you don't believe in Jesus, stop making excuses. Start figuring out what you need to know and start believing. Start trusting him as your Savior right now. And if you are making excuses for why you won't share, stop making excuses. There is no good excuse for not sharing the gospel. Get out there and start sharing it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your message of salvation. God, I thank you that you made it so easy for us to have eternal life. Just by trusting you as our Savior. Not relying on ourselves to get ourselves to heaven, but trusting you, God, for... For, for your goodness and for your, your payment on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. God, I thank you that I have eternal life. I thank you for those in here who do as well. God, I know it's a scary thing, God, to, to get out there and share our faith with people because people can't see you. It feels like you've got to try to convince them. But God, it's not even us who saves people. Our job is to just be an ambassador, to just tell them. God, I pray that you give each one here the boldness to share Christ with one person this week. Even myself, God. I want to challenge myself to do that too, that we'd be bold as the opportunities that you give us to share Christ. And I pray that those people would be willing to accept you if they need you and to make a commitment to you if they need to do that as well. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and for your patience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.